Thank you guys for the music this morning and reminding us of grace. And want to thank uh, Brother Dale and Ben Donahue and all of the men who came up to work on the parking lot, work on sidewalks. Really, really appreciate all of your work and everything that you did. And then I thought while we were singing, um, the uh, my chains are gone, the earth shall soon dissolve like snow. And I wanted to go, amen. <laughs> right? I'm about done with winter. I'm kind of ready for spring, aren't you? And uh, normally I don't mind winter. It's okay. I don't have to mow. But uh, now I'm kind of ready for spring and all of that. This last thing about did me in, we had a couple of pipes that, you know, got frozen. And they're like, oh, man, I hope we don't have a leak and all of that. But they thawed out okay. And then you wonder, what is your uh, gas bill going to be like next month after uh, all of these cold temperatures? And then the Lord reminds you, just be thankful that you had it. Right? And uh, boy, we grumble sometimes, and uh, yet we have it so, so good. I wondered how some of our ancestors survived this kind of stuff. I mean, that's just amazing. But they did, and that's why we're here, and that's by the grace of God. Uh, pray for uh, me. I'm getting ready to have an echocardiogram on the 2nd and find out what's going on. They did a, some blood work on me, and uh, the cardiologist said it's supposed to be 100 or less. Mine was 1,200 and it shows uh, heart failure. And so uh, I'm in the high range on all of that. Something's wrong, and my heart has gone from back in August when he checked everything and did the echocardiogram. It was strong, and there was one valve that was leaking a little bit, but not enough to worry about. And uh, he just said, what happened? And uh, whatever got me back in September attacked my heart, not my lungs, strangely enough. And so uh, that's where we're going on that. And so he says it's, uh, uh, it's serious and we've got to find out what is going on. So I would appreciate your prayers. And uh, if it's all the same to God, I would rather have a miracle than open heart surgery. You understand what I'm saying? But whatever, uh, that's in the hands of God. I think we're all kind of like that. And as you pray, remember to continue to pray for Tanya as she recovers and Craig Maggett as he is uh, going through his therapy to recover from COVID. Steve Elkins has been having some problems too with shortness of breath. And uh, his test came back and said that it's not his heart. And so we're thankful for that. And uh, you probably know some other people that are kind of uh, struggling with some things right now. And uh, I thought about our Sunday school lesson this morning. Have you noticed how God seems to glorify himself through our struggles? And I think that's because without a struggle, we tend to be independent. We tend to just kind of do things on our own and go on like, well, this is the way it'll always be. How many of you have lived long enough to appreciate the good times because you know things can change pretty quickly. Would you just say amen? And I think you have to go through some stuff 
in order to get to that place. When you're young, you just say, oh, we'll do this all the time. And uh, I've heard athletes say, you know, we went to the World Series. We'll just do this every year. Doesn't happen like that, does it? Things happen. Injuries occur. Uh, Life changes. There are a lot of times when you assume, man, my relationships are good. My marriage is good. And then something changes. There are times when you make that assumption about your health or about your money or about your job. And this is why we come together on Sundays to worship God. There is someone bigger than us, someone in control of things, and someone that we ought to glorify and look to and to depend on. And every once in a while, God interrupts our life to remind us that without Him, we don't exist. And without Him, we have nothing. And without Him, life and death and eternity are hopeless. Aren't you glad for the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word today? So let's pray. Father, we want to come together to confess the sin of ignoring You. We want to confess the sin of presumption. We just assume we'll always have freedom, we'll always have prosperity. We'll always have health. We'll always have friends. We'll, that things are just going to continue on and always be good. But some of us know the truth. Life can change in a phone call. Life can change very rapidly. And we want to pray, Father, that when it does, we would run to you. We pray we wouldn't just collapse. We pray we wouldn't just quit. We pray that we wouldn't get bitter or angry, but, oh, Lord, that we might run to you where we should have been all along. And we pray that we would learn that when everything is good and we feel good and things are going our way, that we would give the glory and honor to you. Like Andre Crouch said in his song, And should I gain any praise, let it go to Calvary. Oh, Lord, let us go to Calvary every day, multiple times a day, to remember the cross, to remember the gospel, to remember the God of our salvation, and let us bow before your throne and worship you. Now, Lord, we've got needs got my personal needs, and we've all got our personal needs. We've got health issues. We've got sin issues. We've got people that we're concerned about their soul. We've got needs for jobs. We've got needs for you to repair marriages. We've got needs for wisdom, for direction in our life and decisions we have to make. And we lay all of those at your feet, and we ask, Lord, that you might guide us. And we ask that you might help us. We ask that you might strengthen us. And Lord, we thank you this morning that when we gather in our church, we didn't have a bunch of busted pipes of water everywhere. And uh, I pray for Eagle Heights as they repair all of the damage that water has done in their building. I think of other churches that have had trouble getting their utilities on or getting parking lots cleared. And I pray for churches like that and pray that as churches gather today and as People worship. I pray, Lord, for a spiritual awakening to take place in our nation, please. And I pray, Father, that you might refresh us today and remind us that you care about every aspect of our life and our society. Have mercy on us. Forgive us. Cleanse us and renew us and heal us. 
And this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. How many of you have a Bible this morning? Say amen. Amen. Open it up. Let's go to Exodus. We're in chapter 21 today. And uh, we're going to start off with something that is, uh, well, it might seem a tad strange. We're going to talk about slavery this morning. And uh, the reason I wanted to go ahead and um, follow along in this is because I think there's a lot of value in it in the times that we live. Uh, This summer, I would watch the news and I would listen to people talk, some liberal, some conservative. Uh, Some obviously I agreed with, some I kind of wondered about. Some information I already knew, some would uh, come up that I didn't know. And it's always good to think and it's always good to uh, consider things. And so we uh, run into this. What does God have to say about the issue of slavery? And uh, I think more importantly, when I read this, why in the world did he allow it? And is this the same as American slavery? You know, we had slavery in our country for a long time. It's a horrible thing. And um, some people have blamed the Bible for that. I was reading a book when I was younger on Frederick Douglass. And Frederick Douglass asked the question of, why is there slavery in America? And uh, there was a preacher that said, because it's God's will. And uh, the Bible got blamed. And he wasn't real uh, keen on the Bible or any of that kind of stuff in his early life. But later... Uh, things changed, but I thought that was interesting. There were people back in the day that would say, well, the Hebrews had slaves, so God must be pro-slavery, and uh, we're going to continue on with that. And so a horrible injustice was done to African Americans for a long, long time, and uh, there's not any way that you can make all of that right But I think it's uh, good for us to kind of talk about it, think about it, and understand what God had to say. Now, why would he bring this up right here uh, after chapter 20, after the giving of the Ten Commandments? Why bring this up? And I think there's something that uh, we can start with that's good for all of us to understand. Don't ever forget where God found you. Don't ever forget how God redeemed you. Don't ever forget where you were when you were lost. And I think some of us, the reason we don't witness, the reason we're not brokenhearted over sin, and the reason we're not compassionate toward lost people is because we've forgotten what it's like to be lost. And I think the reason God brings this up about slavery is because these Israelis are ex-slaves. And one of the things he doesn't want them to do is to fall into the habit of human depravity to say, well, if they did it, why can't I? And so there could be a tendency for these Jews to become slave owners themselves and because of what they have been through, maybe be just as bad, if not worse, than the Egyptian taskmaster's were to them. It could be easy for them to think that justice equals revenge. And it doesn't. It doesn't. 
There is a time for justice. And Micah 6, 8 says, He has shown thee, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of thee but to do justly, but also to love mercy, and above all, to walk humbly with thy God. And Israel would be prone to forget that, just like you're prone to forget that, just like I'm prone to forget that. And they could be out for revenge. If somebody did this to me, then I want the opportunity to do it to somebody else. That's what justice is. And God is showing them that's the furthest thing from justice. I think also um, this passage reminds us to think about something. When you, when you think about slavery, and it's always existed, slavery is not the invention of America. I've heard uh, this past summer some people kind of say or insinuate that this country invented slavery or that uh, white people are the only people that have ever enslaved anybody. Slavery goes back a long, long ways. And we ought to know that from studying the book of Exodus. And we ought to know that it's not just an American problem. It's not just a Caucasian problem. It's a human problem. It's a depravity problem. Keep in mind the Israelis were enslaved by Africans. Egypt is in Africa. And all of those years that they were enslaved and beaten, all of those years that they were deprived, all of those years that uh, they suffered. The Lord heard their groanings on all of that, and Egypt paid a high price for that. And I think when you look at our own country, I think we've paid a high price for that as well. A divided country, a country that uh, brother against brother, killing itself. The bloodiest war we've ever had has been the Civil War, and then the aftermath of that, we still haven't been able to Uh, repair everything and put everything back in order uh, the way that we would like for it to be. There's a lot of racial division and that seems to always find its way and it's a horrible thing, especially among Christians where we don't have those divisions. These things are um, taken care of through the blood of Jesus Christ that we're one in Christ and uh, We love Him and we serve Him and we ought to be the model of of harmony. We ought to be the model of equality. We ought to be the model of of loving God and loving our neighbor, whomever they may be, as we love ourselves. And so as God begins to speak to them about that, this is really uh, about loving your neighbor. You don't enslave a neighbor that you love. You're not a racist against a neighbor that you love. You don't discriminate against a neighbor that you love. We are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And so God is saying to Israel, don't forget what happened to you. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget how awful all of that was. And that means you're not going to be able to do it to someone else. Charles Spurgeon, who lived in the 1800s in England during a time when Slavery was still going on around the world and in parts of the British Empire and in the United States, of course. He said that um, these rules and regulations were God putting the nail in the coffin of modern slavery. Now what you're going to see as we begin reading in verse 1 
is what God says and what God regulates and what God allows looks nothing like the slavery that we might see in the world today. And make no mistake, slavery still exists and it exists in other countries Uh, particularly Islamic countries enslave other people, but it also goes in other ways. Um, Human trafficking, have you heard of that? Where people are stolen, kidnapped, and enslaved, and made to do whatever other people say, and they have no choices, they have no freedom or anything like that. It's a horrible thing. I was uh, reading the other day, that the pornography problem in the United States and other parts of the world that most people don't realize that particularly the women that are in there are on drugs and they are, in a sense, enslaved to the pornographers and forced to do things that they would never do on their own. When we think about gangs... That's a form of enslavement. There's somebody that's in control of that. There are other people who are doing whatever that person says. I mean, the idea of controlling other people, whether it's a a Hitler or a Stalin in Russia, or whether it is your local gangbanger, or whether it is some uh, person who is just an abusive uh, person in government or law enforcement or something, it's all a part of depravity. In Genesis chapter 3, the serpent was able to entice Adam and Eve to eat of the fruit by telling them, telling them this, Ye shall be as God. Now, what is more godlike? Now, I didn't say godly, but godlike than having that kind of control. I want you to think about the last chapter. When the Israelis saw Sinai and they saw the presence of God, they were afraid. They were terrified at that. And there are a lot of people today that when the enemy says, follow me and you will be as gods. I'll give you control over other people. I'll make it so that other people tremble at your presence where they are afraid of you, where you hold life or death in their hands, where you will be the one that decides what they do, what they don't do, and how they do it. Well, a lot of people will jump at that. That's called being a master. And God is the only one who is the master. God is the only one who is the Lord of all. God is the only one that we are to serve. And yet people will jump at the chance. And slavery is an expression. It's a depraved person's expression of trying to be like God. And trying to lord it over and master other people. And we are never given that particular assignment, are we? So let's begin reading in Exodus chapter 21 and look at verse 1 and notice how different it is under God's rules. The Bible says, Now these are the judgments which you shall set before them. He's speaking to Moses. And by a judgment, this is God's decree. This is God's case. This is what he has Determined. There's no vote on this. There's no option on this. This is God's judgment. And here it begins in verse 2. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve... Look at this. 
six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free and pay nothing or owe nothing. If he comes in by himself, in other words, as a single man, he shall go out by himself as a single man. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife and uh, she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her master's and he shall go out by himself. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go free, then his master shall bring him to the judges, and he shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost, and get ready to say, ouch, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl. Sounds horrible. And he shall serve him, how long? Forever. So if the slave comes up and says, I love my master, I want to stay here with my family, then uh, go up there and let him run an awl through his ear, and that mark will be a permanent mark that will show that he is serving his master freely and voluntarily. You see any differences between this and what you typically think of slavery? The Bible goes on to say in verse 7, And if a man sells his daughter to be a female slave, then she shall not go out as the male slaves do. You're to treat her differently, in other words. And if she does not please her master, who has betrothed her to himself, ah, there's the key to understanding it. Here's a man, he's a poor man, he's got a daughter, she needs to be married. Women didn't have very many options or rights in those days, but he has no money, he has no dowry or anything like that, and so he can bring his daughter to a man, notice, to be betrothed to, think of Mary and Joseph. This is the idea of a marriage arrangement. And uh, so the man says, okay, I'll go ahead and I will give you money for your daughter and she'll come and be in my family and she will be my wife. And all of a sudden the family situation has, of course, changed. And um, so uh, let's pick up reading again. Then he shall let her be redeemed. And he shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people since he has dealt deceitfully with her. In other words, he promised to marry her. He paid the money to her family. Then he didn't do it. He can't just sell her to uh, Egypt or whomever, Ishmaelites, and uh, then just let her go. He can't do that. But he is to let her be redeemed. Think of the book of Ruth and think of Boaz and think of the kinsman redeemer. In other words, to... Let her marry someone who will marry her and who will love her and care for her. And uh, it says in verse 9, And if he has betrothed her to his son, he shall deal with her according to the custom of daughters. If he takes another wife, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, 
and her marriage rights. In other words, just because he said, no, I don't think I'm going to marry you. I'm going to violate the contract. Then he can't marry someone else and forget about this one. He has to take care of her just like he promised until she gains a husband. Verse 11. And if he does not do these things for her, then she shall go out free without paying any money. In other words, she is free to go. So when God says these things about slaves and the way that they're supposed to be treated and the way that especially the uh, female slaves were to be treated, that uh, he's, he's got something in mind here that he wants to teach us and he wants to show us that we'll get to um, at the end as we uh, wrap this up. But when I was looking at this and thinking about these things, I thought about how different and how it was that people wanted to justify slavery here in the United States on the basis of the Bible, and yet slavery in the United States looked absolutely nothing like the Bible and like what God said. But I think the first thing we have to do is to think about what what was going on here? What's this stuff about buying and selling and redeeming and all of that kind of stuff? Dave Ramsey is uh, fond of quoting Proverbs 22, verse 7. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Now that's in the Bible, so it's of course true. When Mr. Ramsey talks about it, He said that if you owe somebody else money, then you are, in essence, their slave. They tell you what to pay, when to pay it, how long you're going to pay it. And if you have borrowed money from a friend or from a relative, he says that uh, owing money to Uncle Bob makes Thanksgiving turkey taste different. And uh, I get what he's saying. Uh, They'll scrutinize everything you do. There's nothing worse than somebody comes up and they say, I need $1,000 to repair this on my car. And you loan them $1,000. And then the next week you find out they're on their way to Hawaii. That just doesn't set well. And you wonder what's going on. Uh, And they set themselves up for scrutiny. So, in other words, don't do that. It's not a great idea. But that's not what Solomon meant when he wrote this. When Solomon wrote that, he literally meant... That people who owe money become slaves because that's how you repaid loans in those days. If you didn't have any money, if you were poor as an Israeli, you you didn't have a MasterCard. There wasn't even a payday loan place that you could go. You were in trouble. You had to sell something. You had to uh, come up with money any way that you could. And they would do that just like you would do that for your family or for your friends. I've watched people that have uh, refinanced homes, for example, because their child had cancer. And they wanted to be able to treat that child with the very best of treatments. I mean, you'll do anything for your child or for a family member if you do that. But what if you didn't have a home to mortgage? What if you didn't have any stocks to cash in? What if you didn't have any money in the bank? What if you were like a homeless person and you were destitute? What would you do? Well, that'd be a tough situation nowadays. But you know what they would do back in the days of the Old Testament? They would go to a rich person. See, I would go to Chad. 
And I would go, Chad, I need $20,000. <coughs> and he would say, well, you know, pocket change, right? And uh, I would say, here's the deal. We're Old Testament, Old Testament Jews. And I said, I will work for you as your servant or slave for four years for $20,000. And Chad would do some figuring in his calculator like mine. And he would go, that is a really, really, really good deal. I couldn't hire anybody for that. And he would put out his hand and say, Brother Greg, you've got a deal. And so for those four years, I would be his slave for the money that he might pay. And I would take that $20,000 and go pay for my kid's chemotherapy, let's say. Or something like that. And this is what was happening. This is why the borrower is slave to the lender. Because that's the way they came up with money back in those days. And so you wouldn't take the 20000 or whatever it would be. And uh, just go do whatever you wanted. You were bound by, by the law and by your oath to be that person's slave for the prescribed time. Now Chad... Knowing him, he would probably put me down for six years for $20,000. But uh, I would want to go for four and we might negotiate that. But notice that that would make my slavery to Brother Chad voluntary. He didn't come and put me in chains. I came to him. And that's the way most of the time that it worked. It didn't always. In fact, think about some other scripture here. Um... In 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1, there was a man that was in the school of the prophets that Elisha, uh, the prophet, oversaw. And it says uh, in verse 1, Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets uh, cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, the man in the school of the prophets, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the, listen, The creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. What was he doing? The creditor was going, this man died. He can't repay us. So we'll take his kids to work for a prescribed amount of time to be our slaves to pay back what this man died. And this is the story, of course, where Elisha says, do you have anything? Yeah, I've got his uh, a little cruise of oil, probably the prophet's anointing flask. And Elijah says, Elisha says, get all the pots you can find and pour oil from that flask. And uh, had that woman had enough faith, I suppose she could still be pouring it today, couldn't she? And uh, the only thing that limited her was the number of, of pots that she had. And she had enough that she could sell and pay off the debt and save her children from that. You see, back in the days when they had things like debtor's prison, this would be a good alternative for it because you could never repay what you owed if you were in debtor's prison. And so you would never get out. But this is a way where you could be honorable, you could work, you could pay this stuff off, you could take care of it. It was for a prescribed period of time and there were rules and laws regulating how they could treat you And then the time comes to where you are done and you are free. And that's the way these kind of things worked. In fact, it's interesting that in Exodus chapter 22, in uh, about verse 3, it says in there 
that if there is a man who is a thief, he is to repay what he has stolen. And instead of putting people in jail or prison then, they didn't have those. What they would do if the thief didn't have the means to repay you of the sheep that he stole or the money that he stole, you know what they did? Same thing we're talking about here. He became your personal slave for six years until that was repaid. So it was a practical way of getting money and paying money and repaying loans or making restitution or maybe even coming up with money for a wedding or any of those kind of things. Strange to our ears, I know. Not necessarily something that I would want to live under, but this is the way God is doing uh, this for the Israelis because this would not be weird to them at all, not in the least. They would expect this, but what it is doing is regulating and putting boundaries on this so that the Israelis don't become the Egyptians. So they don't become what they escaped. And the society that they live under as the people of God is distinctly different from Canaanites. Distinctly different from Egyptians. Distinctly different from anybody else. And God receives glory and honor. So think about these things as we kind of wrap things up. Notice... How different this was because it was for a prescribed time. This is not for life. This is not from birth to death. Nobody held your life in their hands. Nobody did this generation after generation after generation. There would be no breeding of slaves in this uh, situation. There would be no selling of wives or husbands or of children like what happened to African Americans in this country. This was for a limited time. And that would be worked out and it would be agreed upon before you ever entered into all of this. So if the terms that Brother Chad has for me to get my $20,000 are uh, too strong and I can't take it, I'll say, fine, I'm going to Wade Krim. And I would go over there and I would make a deal with him. And the two guys, if they wanted me bad enough, they could actually bid for me. And uh, whoever gives me the best deal, that's the way that I'm going. This is the way that it worked. It was for a limited time. Notice, secondly, it wasn't based upon race. It wasn't the kind of thing that said because your skin is darker or because you are from a certain tribe or anything like that. Make them slaves and they'll be perpetual slaves. They're inferior to you. They don't have a soul or anything like that. I was reading a book one time where a law enforcement man in Arkansas was uh, about to um, uh, shoot an African-American and a white man intervened for the African-American and he said, hey, he bleeds red just like we do. And the law enforcement guy says, so does my dog, Mr. Tucker. So does my dog. And uh, this is nothing like that. It doesn't leave room for discrimination or racism or prejudice or anything like that at all. This is something that is not based upon race. These are people that have fallen on hard times. These are people that need help. These are people that need to get a hold of money. We also notice, thirdly, that God was very careful to protect rights. 
You weren't going to be able to abuse somebody. You weren't going to be able to keep their property. You went out the same way that you came in. And if uh, a man was given a wife by his master and had children, and then it's time for the man to go free, this man is basically destitute when he leaves. And God said, leave his wife and leave his children with the master who can take care of them. Well, what about the man who wants his family? He can make a choice. He can stay there with them if he wants. Or he can go make money and he can redeem them. He can pay them the price of a bride or whatever might go on and he can get his children and they can be free. This is not something where uh, they are going to be perpetually enslaved or abused. And also, keep in mind, the term for slavery was always six years or less and that would apply to the women and the children that were left behind. It's not going to be a forever thing. See how different all of this is? But the last thing that I want to share with you is what I'm going to call the ultimate example. In Psalm 40, verse 6, when you read that, depending upon which translation you have, you can tell that it's the Lord Jesus. He is speaking, and he's speaking to God as the one, the obedient servant, the Redeemer. And he makes a statement in that, if you have a King James Version, it's, it's strange when you look at it. It says, my ear you have digged. What in the world does it mean to dig an ear? If you look at some other translations, it says, my ear you have opened. Well, okay, I could kind of see maybe open is taking the wax out or some obstruction or something like that. Did you know that the Hebrew word there is the same word that's used in Exodus for the slave that puts his ear up on the doorpost for his master to drive the awl, A-W-L, the awl through it. When the King James says digged, when other versions say opened, they're talking about putting the awl in the ear and digging it out or opening it up. In fact, some translations say in Psalm 40, verse 6, My ear you have pierced. And that would be the correct word, the correct translation. You say, where are you going with that? Jesus is the one who stepped down from being the master and the sovereign to being the slave. And he's the one who did it out of his love for God the Father and his love for those who would become his people. So much so that in Isaiah chapter 53, Jesus is described as my righteous servant, Jesus says, while he's on earth, I did not come to do my will, but the will of my Father. And Philippians chapter 2 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Look at this. Taking the form of of a bondservant 
and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven of those and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see the laws of the servant, the laws of the slave, they picture the Lord Jesus Christ, who voluntarily submitted himself to the will of the Father, who allowed the Father to pierce not just his ear, but to pierce his hands and to pierce his feet so that he could bear the judgment, the condemnation, the anger, and the wrath of God in your place and my place. And why did he do it? Because he was forced? Because his master laid a whip to his back? Oh no. He did it out of humility. He did it out of mercy. He certainly did it out of grace. But don't miss the fact that like the servant who would go and have his ear pierced to show his love and fidelity to his master, Jesus did it out of love for you and me. Jesus became the supreme servant of God to redeem you, to purchase you out of the slave market of sin in order that he might set you free, in order that he might bring you out to never go back to the slave market again, in order to change ownership. You no longer belong to the devil and you no longer belong to the kingdom of darkness anymore. You have been translated into the kingdom of light. You have a new master and you are free in Christ because he, the innocent one and the free one, made himself a willing, loving servant of Yahweh God in order that he might redeem you as his child. And so when we think about that, there we are as the helpless one. And he is the one who has all of the resources. And he laid them aside so that he might become a slave. That you might become a prince. That you might become a child of God, that you might inherit eternal life through His grace, and that you might live forever in the kingdom of God. And the liberty that you have was bought at the price of one who became a servant. You getting the way everything turns? He became a servant so that you, as a slave, could become a king and be free. And royalty. And that's the way we live. And that's the way we stand today. And it's all because of that grace that ought to still amaze you. So if you've never trusted him, trust him as your Lord and Savior today. Think about what he has done for you. And think about the wisdom of God. What if our country had actually followed the rules listed in Exodus 21? What if we were actually conscious of other people 
in ourselves? What if we had really submitted ourselves so that, like in Israel, slavery was not for oppression, but it was actually to benefit somebody out of a difficult situation? And what if we were like Jesus, that we were more concerned about us becoming the slave of God rather than oppressing other people? What a different, different world. What a different history we would have. So let's live for the glory of God. And let's think about these things and proclaim to a lost and dying, perverted, twisted world who wants to take the Bible and turn it to say something it doesn't say. Let's go out and let's tell them the truth. And let's love our God supremely and love our neighbor as we love ourselves for the glory of God. Amen? Father, as we conclude this time, we want to say thank you for the clarity of the Word of God. We want to say thank you for your wisdom. And where we try to blame you and where we try to put things on you, when we really examine, we find out this one thing is always true. Your ways are not our ways, even in this issue. And we want to ask you, Lord, to forgive us for trying to pull you down to our level. But Lord, we ask you to raise us up to where you are, that we might think like you think, live like you live for the glory of God. And we pray that you would forgive us of racism, of oppression. We pray that you would set us free from all of that. and Let us live in harmony as brothers and sisters and let us share the good news of Jesus Christ to every creature all around the world. And we pray that we would do this, that you might be glorified. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.